Our scripture this morning is found in 2 Kings chapter 4, verses 1 through 7. 2 Kings 4, verses 1 through 7. Let me tell you the truth, beloved. God wants you to be filled. God wants you to be filled with his presence and with his purpose. The Word of God never ceases to amaze me. I've told you in the past that after 30 years, it sometimes can be hard to know what text God would have you to preach on on Mother's Day or on Father's Day because there's just so many texts that deal with with mothers. But I began going back through the Word of God and looking at text in there, and God brought me to, to the text that we're looking at this morning and just gave me a vision. Laid on my heart exactly what He wanted me to say. And I want you to understand again this morning, beloved, God wants you to be filled. Second Kings chapter 4, verses 1 through 7, in honor of the reading of God's Word, let's stand. Now a certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophets cried out to Elisha, Your servant, my husband, is dead. And you know that your servant feared the Lord. And the creditor has come to take my two children to be his slaves. Elisha said to her, What shall I do for you? Tell me, what do you have in the house? And she said, your maidservant has nothing in the house except a jar of oil. Then he said, go, borrow vessels at large for yourself from all your neighbors, even empty vessels. Do not get a few. And you shall go in and shut the door behind you and your sons and pour out into all these vessels and you shall set aside what is full. So she went from him and shut the door behind him or behind her and her sons. They were bringing the vessels to her and she poured. When the vessels were full, she said to her son, bring me another vessel. And he said to her, there is not one vessel more. And the oil stopped. Then she came and told the man of God. And he said, go, sell the oil and pay your debt. And you and your sons can live on the rest. Doesn't that bless your heart? Let's pray. God, thank you so much for the reading of your perfect and infallible word in our midst this morning. And God, as you illumined the heart and mind of Samuel when you gave to him this perfect and infallible word, we ask, O God, that you would illumine our hearts and minds as well. Father God, we love you so much, and we offer to you our love, our lives, and this prayer. In and through the name of our risen Lord and Master, Jesus, who is the Christ. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Y'all know for the last couple of years we've been looking at the minor prophets. And and I'm not going to give you a whole lot of background. I understand that if I'm going to get done within an hour, ain't nobody got up and walked out. Nobody said no, so here we go. No, I'm kidding. I'm not going to fill in all of that, but, but we're near the same period of time that we've been during the, our, our study of the Minor Prophets. 
The events in our text this morning happen about four kings back from Amos, if that helps you to kind of place it historically. If you want, if you, want you can go home and, and you can look up the kings of Judah and the kings of Israel, and you'll see about where we are in this text. Now, we've seen over the course of the Minor Prophets that the northern kingdom didn't have a single godly king from its founding under Jeroboam the first until its destruction at the hands of the, uh, of the Assyrians. There was not one single godly king that tried to turn the nation away from the sins of its founding. Now, this was a nation that was founded in rebellion against God. The northern kingdom was founded in rebellion against God. And the king decided that he was going to set up his own temple because the last thing he wanted was for people, listen to me, going to an orthodox church, getting fed the word of God unadulterated. Now, there were problems in Judah, to be sure. But Jeroboam the first set his nation up with the intent of starting out on the wrong foot. Over the course of the history of the northern kingdom, God raised up a number of men. Elisha was one of those men. Y'all remember, those of you that are Old Testament scholars, know that Elisha was immediately preceded by Elijah. We'll talk about that more in a couple hours. You didn't bark at one. I'm going for two. All right. <laughs> Elisha served Elijah. And Elisha's ministry was to turn the people away from the sin that they had been involved in. Through Elisha's ministry, God declared his love for the people. Let me, let, let me get you to understand one thing, beloved. So many times we look at the, at the prophets and we think that they were maladjusted individuals. Or we look at men that actually preach the Word of God. And sometimes we have to, to talk about things that aren't pleasant to hear. Well, let me tell you something. They're not pleasant to talk about either. It is never fun to talk about sin. But sometimes we got to do that. How many of y'all think your doctor loves talking about cancer? Okay. How many of y'all think your doctor loves looking at you and say, I've got bad news, you're going to die? <laughs> they don't like doing that. It's never fun to do that. But the whole point of the prophetic ministry from the beginning, from Moses on... <coughs> is that God loves His people. You know, there's a phrase in, in our world today called free-range parents. You know what that means? It means they don't tell their youngins to do anything. There are no rules in that house. The kids can play in the street if they want to. They can watch TV all night if they want to. They can watch anything they want. They can play video games all they want to. Y'all don't believe people like that exist? Come see me at work tomorrow. I'll introduce you to a bunch of youngins. I'm kidding. That's against the law. Okay. The point that I'm making, especially for y'all young people here, 
Just because mom and dad have rules, that doesn't mean they don't love you. It means that they do love you, and they love you so much that they have established rules for your household. And for the people that are in this room, those rules are based on the infallible Word of God. It's not to spoil your life. It's not, you know, when mama says to you, ain't nothing good happen after midnight, You know what I learned? She wasn't lying. She wasn't trying to ruin my life to get me home before midnight. Nothing good happens after midnight. At my advanced age, not much good happens after 8.30. <laughs> All right. If you catch what I'm getting at, I'm usually gone. If you're sending me a text message after 8.30... You probably ought to send it to Angie, too, if it's really important, okay, so that she can wake me up. The point that I want to make is that God sent his prophets not because he didn't like his people. He sent his prophets because he loved his people and he wanted to call them back. And so here we are with this man, Elisha, that's living during this time. And we saw from what Brother Lou read during Sunday school this morning that, that Elisha is, in, is engaged in, in being used as an instrument of, of God. And so here's this woman who's destitute. She doesn't have anything left in the world except her sons and one flask of oil. One flask of oil. Now listen. This isn't Crisco, okay? This isn't cooking oil. We'll see that in, in a minute. And so we find this woman that is at her wit's end. She has nothing left. And so she goes to God, and God meets her needs. He fills her vessels. And he wants to do the same thing in your life. Verses 1 and 2. There are three words in Hebrew that refer, that are used, that are translated into English as prophet. All right? In the early days, prophets were a whole lot more popular than they were during Elisha's time. Okay? A prophet at that time was a man that you went to, and you went to him individually. But by the time that we're looking at in Israel and Judah's history, that, that ministry has pretty much come to an end. And God is using the prophets to call the nation back to repentance. And so the prophets of this time generally do not have these kind of one-on-one -on -one encounters with the people in the land. Think about it this way. Back in the old days, y'all how many of y'all remember... Saul, King Saul. And how many of y'all remember that he got in, in, involved with a prophet? Remember that? His daddy had lost two of his donkeys. And Saul went to find them, and he went to the prophet in that area. That's, that was the kind of prophet that you went to individually. But the word used to talk about Elisha is not that kind of prophet. This is a man that is ministering to the nation and people didn't generally go to him individually. 
The woman faces an urgent crisis. You see it there. A certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophets cried out to Elisha, Your servant, my husband, is dead. And you know that your servant feared Yahweh. And the creditor has come to take my two children to be his slaves. Can I tell you what's going on here? This is again the law. They're not supposed to do this. If you go back and read Exodus and Leviticus, okay, and Deuteronomy, you will find that what the creditors are doing is illegal. A Jew is never to enslave another Jew. If you were a fellow Jew and I borrowed money from you and could not pay it back, then I have to work for you until I paid it back, but you cannot make me your slave. And the longest you could possibly hold and, and, and hold a fellow Jew to this was 49 years. Y'all remember the Jubilees and all of that? And, and all of this system was based upon those Jubilees that you could only be in servitude for a certain amount of time. Anyway, we know that the Word of God meant nothing to the people of this time. And so Elisha asked the woman what seems to be a strange question, doesn't it? I mean, this woman comes, and you got to imagine she's distraught, and she says, my husband is dead, and you know that he loved Yahweh, and, and, and now I'm about to lose my two boys to slavery. You would expect Elisha to say, oh, isn't that just... Can I pray with you? But he says, what shall I do for you? Now, that should bring to mind back in John 5. In John 5, Jesus is in town for his first Passover. And he comes into town and he goes to the sheep gate. And right next to the sheep gate, there is a pool, and it is called Bethesda, House of Mercy, House of Mercy. And John tells us that there was this thing that an angel would periodically come and stir the waters, and whoever got in there first got healed. Jesus walks into the, the room. And he looks around, and he spies out the guy that I'm going to go out on a limb and say had the worst situation. This man has been lame for 38 years. 38 years. And Jesus comes to him. Go ahead and put that up on the screen, please. John 5, verses 6 and 8. And when Jesus saw him lying there, and knew that he had already been a long time. There's a whole sermon right there, but we won't go there. In that condition, he said to him, Do you wish to get well? What would you think if you were lying in the hospital sick and I came to visit you and I said, Do you want to get well? You'd look at me like I'd just sprouted a third head, wouldn't you? Well, duh. 
you think I enjoy being in here? Well, now that question does have to be asked. Do you wish to get well? Sick man answered him, Sir, I have no man to put me into the pool. <laughs> Isn't that just like us, beloved? <laughs> we look Jesus in the face and tell him what we can't do. We tell him what we can't do. And Jesus turns around, Philippians 4, 13, and he tells us, you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. Look Jesus in the face. Let him give you the blessing that he wants to give you. Get up and get out of that place and go minister in his name. While I'm coming, another steps down before me. Can you get the picture? Can you get the picture? This place is full of people that want to get healed. Now, they're, they're all in the same boat. All right? They're all sick. They're all from the, the children of Israel. They've all been there long enough to know this guy's been here longer than anybody else. And so when the water gets stirred, they know old Stumpy over here can't move too fast. And they push him out of the way and go running for the pool. Don't that bless your heart? Jesus said, get up. Pick up your pallet and walk. And the guy did. He didn't even question Jesus. He didn't even say, but I can't. He looked Jesus in the eyes and saw what he could. And he got up. He picked up his pallet and he walked. Cool story, right? Well, it doesn't have the happiest of endings. Because it turns out that carrying your pallet on Sunday, well, actually on Saturday, is working. And working is again the law. And you in a heap of trouble now, boy. Well, Jesus knew that and he came to him and Jesus found him. <coughs> and he said, Behold, you have become well. That word in Greek means whole. You have become whole. Do not sin anymore so that nothing worse happens to you. Do you understand what Jesus said? You would say to me, but preacher, I would think that being lame for 38 years is pretty bad. Well, burning in hell forever makes being lame 38 years look like a crawl in the park. Jesus says don't sin anymore. Back in 2 Kings, I know. She indicates to Elisha that she's completely destitute, that she doesn't have much. And this word, this word that she talks about having a little bit of oil in her house, I told you, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't mean that she's got some lard in, in the wind or some bacon grease. Well, she's Jewish. She wouldn't have bacon grease, would she? But she doesn't have, you know, this is not cooking oil. She says, all I've got, the word that they use, it's, a, it's an unusual word in the Old Testament. It, it, and she says, all I've got 
is a jar of oil. Now, isn't that something? This is a, a little flask. What would you use a little flask of oil for? You'd use it to anoint somebody. You'd use it to consecrate something as being holy to the Lord. You'd use it, oh, I don't know, to pour over your Lord's head to anoint him for his burial. This is not cooking. This is not common oil. This is not common oil. Listen, ladies, let me put it to you in terms that you can understand. This is not gold-plated. This is gold. This is real deal. This is not a cubic zirconium. This is a real deal. Okay? Now, also, did you notice what Elisha did back there in, in, in verse 2? He said, what shall I do for you? Ladies, how many of y'all does it frustrate you when your husband doesn't really listen to what you said, but he hears enough, and he goes off and starts fixing whatever it is you just told him about when really all you want... Why am I saying that? <laughs> never mind what I just said. That never happens. <laughs> okay. The point I'm trying to make is that Elisha said, what shall I do for you? What is it that you need? What is it that you perceive that you need? And what do you have? What do you have already? That's a great basis for benevolent ministries. We won't make a sermon out of that. Anyway, Elisha understands anointing. Back in 1 Kings 19.16, it tells us that he's telling Elijah. He says to Elijah, who to go and anoint? And he says, in Yehu, the son of Nimshi, you shall anoint king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat, of Abel Meholah, you shall anoint as prophet in your place. So Elijah died knowing, or he didn't die, but he went up to be with God, knowing who was going to replace him. Verse 4, Elisha tells her to seek the help of her neighbors. We live in a community, beloved. You know, we've lived here 30 years, almost 31, well, 31, 31 now. We've lived here 31 years, and I've never seen our community work better together than I have, have, have watched it work over the last couple of years. Can I get a witness? We're coming together, and we're ministering to people in the name of Jesus. People's faith is being strengthened. And so Elisha wants to remind this woman, you live in a community of faith. And I want you, verse 3, to go borrow vessels at large for yourself from all your neighbors, even empty vessels, and don't be stingy. Now, listen, beloved, y'all know I'm not a name and a claimant, but can I tell you something? The question here is how big a blessing do you want? Do you want a two-vessel blessing or do you want a hundred-vessel blessing? How big a blessing do you want? How much are you willing to go and, and put in place for God at His command that He can lay His hand on you and wait for it, anoint you with His blessing? Verse 4, she and her sons were then to do exactly the opposite of the naming and claimants. See, all them fellers, if they were going to do this, 
They'd have got it on TV. They'd have put it on the satellite. They'd have done it in the biggest exhibition hall that they could get you to rent out for them because they ain't going to spend their money on it. Did you hear what I said? Their money, not God's money. It's their money. They ain't going to spend their money on it. They're going to spend your money on it. Elisha says this is not for public consumption. This is for the glory of God. He said you go in and you shut the door behind you and your sons and pour out into all these vessels and you shall set aside what is full. So she went from him and shut the door behind her and her sons. They were bringing the vessels to her and she poured. Now go with me back to this, uh, to this little house. I want you to get the picture in their mind, okay? Those of you that have been to Belize, this is a house, that's, that's it. Four walls and maybe a bed, nothing else. Dirt floor, all right? And her sons have gone out, and the entire room is filled with these large, empty vessels. And she takes this tiny little vessel in her hand tiny little vessel and she said all right children it's time for us to trust God and can you imagine their eyes as that thing kept pouring and pouring and pouring and she's looking Boys, get that next one ready. We don't want to spill a drop. Get it ready. Get it ready. Filled up. They got another one in there. And then another one. And then another one. And then another one. Go to the next screen. And then another one. Boys, bring me another one. Mama, we ain't got any more. Not one vessel more. Drip, drip, drip. Stop. God had filled her vessels because she went to God with her problem. She trusted what God told her to do, and in faith, she went out and did what God had told her to do. She rushed to Elisha and explained what had just happened. Not a jar left that wasn't full. And hearing this, Elisha instructed her to go and sell the oil and pay off her debts and save her sons from enslavement. And note how much the oil had been multiplied, not only enough to pay off her debts, but also enough to meet the living expenses for her and her sons for the rest of their lives. What's the lesson for us? We can look to God to have our needs met. No matter what need you're facing, God will meet that need. What does this have to do with Mother's Day? Oh, beloved, this faithful widow teaches us so much. We know she was a godly woman at the start of this account. Thank God for godly mothers. Amen? Thank God for mothers that held us before the throne of grace. Even when we were determined to go our own way, they never stopped praying and caring. Thank God for godly mothers. We see that she went to God with her problem. I told you she had a dire situation and went to God. So many times we turn to God as our last resort. We need to understand He's our only resort. 
The woman was honest with God. Hello? I said the woman was honest with God. When asked what she had, she was honest. She had something still left in her house that was valuable. Hello? She had a jar of anointing oil that could have been sold and kept them going for another week or so. And she might have concealed that from Elisha so that she could get a handout. But no, she was honest with God with what she had. I've got something that's set aside for the consecration of God. Thank God for mothers that taught us to be honest with God by being honest with God themselves. This woman engaged the community of faith. Thank God for mothers that keep us and kept us involved in the body of Christ. And she stepped out in faith. Thank God for mothers who lived out the life of faith in front of us. Her vessels were filled. Can you imagine her excitement as she watched God move in her life and in the life of her sons? Don't you think she was doing the math in her head? First jar. He's not going into slavery now. Second, he's not going into slavery now. Oh, we're on the crazy train now. Oh, God is just showing out now. God is just showing out. He filled her vessels. He went beyond and above what she had any right to expect. Because she obeyed God, Her family was blessed beyond measure. Oh, beloved, thank God for mothers who obey God and are thus a blessing to their families. I close by asking, is your vessel full this morning? If it isn't, let me tell you something. God wants it to be. God wants your vessel full this morning. Will you step out in faith and obedience and watch God absolutely fill your vessel?